Hey there, welcome to Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. This episode was inspired by an essay that Daphne wrote for their English class. The prompt was taking personal responsibility, but somehow what they ended up coming up with was this essay. With their permission, I'm reading it as part of this episode because I think it does a number of things. It speaks to the fact that our kids are actually listening to us. They are aware of what is going on in the world and they are able to come up with some amazing, insightful thoughts, even though we may sometimes worry that their brains are melting because of too much YouTube or Minecraft or Snapchat or whatever. Our future is in good hands if we can make sure that we leave them some quality raw materials to work with. So without further ado, Daphne's essay titled, When Following Rules Becomes Rebellion, The Rise of Quiet Quitters. In recent times, the term quiet quitting has become more and more popular among office employees. Though on first glance, one might believe it to mean something along the lines of turning in your two weeks notice without any spectacle. The real meaning is this, doing the minimum work required, nothing more, nothing less. To many, this seems ludicrous. Is that not what most employees already do? Is that not exactly what they are being paid to do? In what world is doing your work a form of quitting, of rebellion? The concept of quiet quitting brings up an interesting question. Where is the line between responsibility and expectation? And when does responsibility and following requirements become rebellion? The rise of quiet quitting seems to have taken place primarily in offices and primarily by lower paid workers at the bottom of the pyramid, so to speak. This may be due to several factors, namely a clear double standard between them and their superiors and a resentment of said superiors. Many workers find that they are held to a much higher standard than their employers, and even higher ups in their company. The responsibilities may be the same, higher or lower, but the expectations set on them to perform are certainly greater. These employees find that while they are working hard and trying to improve their conditions or those of the company, their superiors are often sitting back and slacking. It then becomes the responsibility of the workers to do their employers' jobs for them because, well, if they don't do it, who will? This double standard can lead to resentment which can lead to employees deciding that if my boss can get away with doing nothing on twice my salary, I can get away with doing only what is required of me, and thus the rise of quiet quitters. To them, trapped in an oppressive system, it is a form of rebellion that allows them to take responsibility for something much more important, themselves. While employees who slack for the sake of slacking may set a bad precedent for new workers as well as the company as a whole, those who quiet quit may set an example for others to prioritize their mental health and may even influence the company to make changes to their policies to allow employees to take better care of themselves while still being productive. Even someone who uses the strategy of quiet quitting and is subsequently fired may cause other employees to realize that their conditions are less favorable than they previously thought, which could lead to them advocating for themselves, possibly even resulting in improved conditions for workers as a whole. Recently, it's been shown that self-care and work-life balance are much more important than was perhaps previously thought. Taking time away from work to take care of oneself actually boosts productivity instead of detracting from it. So in some ways, quiet quitting can be a way to be more responsible for both oneself and one's productivity. For example, if someone is in a workplace that causes them stress for an extended period, this could lead to their mental health deteriorating. Their relationships inside and outside of work with their colleagues, friends, and family would likely also be impacted. Their productivity would drop substantially. 
But if this individual decided to do the responsible thing for themselves and the people around them and keep their time in the stressful environment to a minimum, they might see these same things improving instead. Doing less work also means having more time to practice self-care. Going home at a more reasonable time could mean being able to cook meals instead of ordering takeout, being able to go to bed earlier and sleep better, or getting more physical activity by working out or simply going for a walk. Alternatively, or in addition to, they can do what they can to improve their conditions at their workplace, reducing, removing, or alleviating the stressor instead of avoiding it. There are many ways to take responsibility for oneself, not just by putting in long hours, working overtime, and hoping to be promoted. The line between responsibility and expectation in the workplace really should be replaced with a different line, one between responsibility for oneself and responsibility for one's employment. Responsibility becomes rebellion when that responsibility is to a cause, to making a statement, and to taking care of oneself, be that through doing the bare minimum at work or standing up for workers' rights. The rise of quiet quitting was sparked by discontent with the workplace and with employers, and though it may be stamped out through stricter regulations, a new form of rebellion will emerge, only to be stamped out and once again replaced, until companies and CEOs finally accept what the true issue is and decide to address it. Until then, the responsibility lies in our hands to take care of ourselves and the people around us. So I can't even begin to express how proud I am of Daphne for writing those things. And while there might be a few things that are a little bit simplified in the essay in terms of the causes or who's involved and and those types of things, the differences between the different levels of the pyramid, so to speak, which how can you as a 14 year old who has not yet had the privilege of holding down such a job, much less trying to build a career, understand the nuance of that. However, I feel that despite it being potentially a little bit biased, that they have a better grasp of the problem than many companies and indeed many managers have. I was home for a couple of days with food poisoning a week or so ago, and it's only in those days of feeling like I'm dying that I find myself with the time to sit or lie on the couch and marathon watch shows that I either normally don't have the time to or they're the shows that Chris isn't interested in and so they go unwatched. I finally finished watching all the seasons of Queer Eye, more than a makeover, and watched the series filmed in Japan as well, and I was struck by a few things, some of which I may have mentioned in previous episode. But number one is that the Fab Five, as much as it is made for TV, really do have a connection and shared reality of overcoming hardship because simply of who they are. Two, that the people they helped, beyond needing a new hairdo or clothes that were more age or whatever appropriate, needed to be seen, to be able to open up, even if only just a little, about what led them to this place where they didn't care about themselves and just did whatever in terms of how they put themselves out in the world. Three, the people in Japan might be among the most repressed in the world, and I truly feel sad for them. And finally, four, that regardless of whether we have the Fab Five come into our lives or not, we still have our responsibility to be the best we can and to do the best we can with what we've got, even though sometimes that's really, really hard. After I finished that mini binge, there were only a few episodes left since my last illness. I switched over to Water Bear. And if I haven't mentioned that before, or even if I have, what it is is an incredible streaming service that is free to download, and it brings you the most amazing shows varying in length from six minutes to feature length, all with a focus on people and what they are doing to reclaim their culture, bring attention to an issue, or what they are doing to work to solve a problem. It's honestly everything that I could dream of in a streaming service. I watched a bunch of shows. One was about figuring out whether there was a way to bring the Lynx back to an island in Scotland. Another, a series about everything from fast fashion to the farming industry, which all of these were less than 10 minutes each. But the one that really struck me was a documentary I watched called Watson. 
It was about the founder of the Sea Shepherd organization and the impacts they have made by fighting poaching, illegal whaling, shark finning, and more. Paul Watson started Sea Shepherd after being essentially fired from Greenpeace because he felt that not just bringing visibility to an issue, but also taking action on it are essential to any organization whose main purpose is to make the world a better place. My favorite thing that he said, because I can so, so relate, is that sometimes if you want to make a difference or see a change, you have to say or do things that piss people off. And all I can say to that is amen, brother. There was something that Daphne and I listened to and we both giggled when what was said was that the perpetually offended have to get over themselves. Now, I'm not saying you can just say anything, but if you say something that is based on the evidence that might go against mainstream, aka free market conservative extractionist thinking, and people are offended, they really do need to get over it. Of course, that knife cuts both ways. So those of us on the more left-leaning, socially-minded, eco-environmentalist side also need to not so much opt to have a thicker skin, but to be able to objectively listen and appreciate that maybe we don't have it fully dialed either. There is always something to learn. And again, it comes back to Daphne's essay. We all have a personal responsibility to get all the facts and try to move the needle in a way that supports the economy because we all need to eat, pay bills and have somewhere to live, but it can't always be at the expense of the planet or the systems in place to keep people well. What I love about Paul Watson is that both he and the people that he has inspired over the years to be part of the organization to the point that they are now the largest non-military Navy in the world, illustrate what Daphne was talking about in their essay. It wasn't about quiet quitting in this instance, but about doing what they thought was right, often up against corrupt governments and cartels and clashing with people desperate to make a living. And so who end up working on these giant factory trawlers that destroy the ocean and its inhabitants? Because when you have to make a choice between feeding your family or doing a job that is, to most people, inhumane and unconscionable, the lines can get pretty blurry pretty fast. What is amazing and most appalling to me is that while what ships like the Nishinmaru do is inhumane and unconscionable, it is because there is still a demand for what it is they are bringing to shore, that they are able to go on and do their horrific work. There is no one country that is more or less guilty. Chinese vessels continue to catch and defend sharks and dump their bodies back into the ocean to drown. Japanese factory ships continue to catch tuna, but so do European ships to feed the insatiable appetite for tuna in all its forms. And that's just one of the fish. All of the fish that are being fished are in danger, are on the brink of or already in a collapsed fishery. We are all therefore culpable unless we can definitively state that we never eat tuna, don't go out for sushi or have fish and chips or whatever. Because the fact is that over 90% of the world's fisheries are being fished at or beyond capacity. We are running out of fish. And in order to maximize catch, incredibly damaging techniques are used to get that fish out of the ocean, meaning that the very places where fish would normally go to spawn and grow are being destroyed. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a conservationist to see that that is simply not sustainable. Fish is one thing, but then there's meat, beef, pork, chicken. I'm not vegetarian and neither is my family, but we do try to choose a more plant-based diet. We don't need to eliminate eating meat, we just need to do it less often and have less at a time, which is better for the planet, our wallets, and our health. We need to make sure that the fishermen, farmers, and everyone involved in the industries that literally put the food on our plates are able to survive and even thrive, but again, not at the expense of the planet. There was an anonymous quote at the beginning of one series that really drove home the point of personal responsibility. Who am I to change the world? Say 7.6 billion people. 
It's easy to be overwhelmed and feel like you as one person can do so little that it just isn't even worth trying. And that would be the case if everybody thought so. But there are people out there doing their best to make a difference, whether that's by interrupting the Nishinmaru in its quest to get more whales, or finding ways to farm more sustainably, or choosing to forego fast fashion for something longer lasting and not so damaging. We don't need to have balloons and plastic tablecloths at parties. We don't need to have the trendiest, mostly disposable shoes or pants or screen printed t-shirts. We certainly don't need walk-in closets full of outfits that we might have worn once or that we hope we can one day wear again. And we don't always need to buy something new. Thrifting is not only thrifty, but good. Well, better for the environment, depending on where you thrift and how the thrift stores do their business. It was World Home Economics Day on the 21st of March, and the focus this year was on minimizing waste, whether that's by shopping and storing food smartly to avoid composting or overcomposting, avoiding fast fashion, not drinking bottled water, like seriously, don't even get me started, and basically just trying to be more conscious of what you buy and why. Personal responsibility comes in many forms, from following the traffic rules to trying to eat as well as you can to be able to stay as well as you can to not sacrificing the planet for fashion or taking care of yourself and saying no to doing more for an employer that doesn't notice and seemingly doesn't care. If leaders don't lead and managers only micromanage, then why would the average worker do more than just the bare minimum? Without the role modeling, coaching, and mentoring that is required for people to feel like they are more than just a cog in the wheel, companies, businesses, and organizations are really only going to hurt themselves. Their bottom lines will improve when workers feel like they are valued, Performance will increase when people are recognized for the work that they do and are allowed the freedom to do their jobs in a way that will, in the end, support both their well-being and the goals of the company. When mental health is prioritized and not just given lip service, people will want to give their all to their employer. People only tap out or quiet quit when there are no other options. Similarly, when we collectively decide that we are not going to tolerate the systematic devastation of our planet, whether that is extracting resources from the earth or the sea in ways that dismiss the importance of considering what our actions are having on future generations, that's when things are really going to change. Maybe it starts with quiet quitting so that we can take a step back and get some perspective and decide on what's really important for us today and future generations tomorrow. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.